Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast, still sans Pete, but he will be back. He will be back once he makes it through that fireball. Uh, today, we are talking about Minute 69, which begins with Bucky walking carefully across the gantry and ends with Colonel Phillips dictating a letter to Senator Brandt about the disappearance of Stephen G. Rogers. Back on the show, it is Andrew and Joe Dorowski. Hello, both of you. Hello. Thank you for letting us back. You know, still still going through these minutes here. Still up on the fifth or 15th level of the factory floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. This has been a, a lot of time with some explosions and some heights. That's That's been like the theme of, uh, of our group of minutes here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really has. We, we have Bucky walking across this gantry, as one does very carefully, uh, with the fires down below. And I, I swear, it feels like we are in an airplane over a bombing raid. Like, it feels <laughs> like we are so high up. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, we talked about this with the mask floating down. I feel like we've gone up another five or six stories from the mask. And even then, we were starting to question, like, how high up are they? Maybe we, what we don't realize about this factory is, like, these levels are actually all raising up, and they are actually moving <laughs> away a, from the fire. There's an elevator system. <laughs> yeah, it's like, right. uh, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing, it just, it's a little funny to me. And... um uh, but, you know, it's fine. It, it does what it needs to do. It gives us a sense of danger for these two as they're trying to escape in, you know, a ridiculous way. They're, let's make it across this this gantry over to that door. Uh, it plays. It gives us a chance to have a moment, a moment between Steve and Bucky. It gives us a chance to kind of uh, let Bucky see more as to what Steve is capable of, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, even if we don't get to but or get to fully. Um, but it's I, I don't know. It's done in a way that feels like the climax to the action, this kind of this midpoint action beat that we're at here. Yeah. And I I don't have any sense of danger. <laughs> right. I, I, I think that's one of the things that rings maybe most unsuccessful about how they cut out of this action sequence of Captain America leaping and the fire engulfing him. And, you know, and then we're going to cut to the letter. And in this minute, we don't know what the letter is going to say, uh, you know, or what the report is going to be. But I don't think any audience member has real concern for Steve Rogers, <laughs> you know, in, in this moment. Um, and I think if, if, like you said, we do get the bonding between Steve and Bucky a little bit, and we see Bucky like learning more about Steve. Like that all works, but any sense of danger for me feels so minimal. Um, I mean, I I won't say for Bucky because obviously there's going to be some danger for Bucky <laughs> that's going to come at some point. I, I, but but for Captain America, at least to, for this whole action beat to end on like what's supposed to be, I think, ambiguity for the audience, it, there there isn't any. You're right. There's no sense of ambiguity. It's like okay, they're cutting away because they need to like cut the scene. And move on. And I don't think that there's necessarily a better way to do it than to do it right here, you know, with the flame transition and everything. Cause like, what else are you going to do? It's like, and he lands and like, we still need to cut away and get back to the camp. And so I guess we do it in the middle of an intense moment, even if it's not suspenseful. It's, it's a strange way to play it though. Like this whole idea of playing it where we have, uh, an explosion that potentially puts the hero of our film, the the film that is named after our hero, uh, <laughs> that he might actually be dying at this point. It's such a strange thing to do. I suppose, like the way that it was scripted, when we we'll talk more about um, uh, Colonel Phillips' letter 
tomorrow. Um, but he does say something that was scripted in the bit that we hear uh, in in today's minute is, you know, he says, I regret uh, to report that Captain Stephen G. Rogers went missing behind enemy lines on the 3rd of last week. He actually says of last week, giving us a sense that it has been over a week that uh, that he's been gone. Wait, hold and- on. The phrase is the third of last week. I don't think that's that a, does that, not, that's not a unit of time. That doesn't time. work. <laughs> the, 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 the third, third of, of last week. Of, well, yeah, <laughs> of last month. This month. It was. Yeah. It's. It's but. funny. It is the third. Uh, technically, it was the third of November. Right. But the third. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The third, which happened last week. And, and it is a weird phrase. And maybe it's why like, I just cut it. Like at some point, someone caught that. I'm like, wait, this isn't making la- it. Last week yeah. on the third. <laughs> Yeah, la- right. Yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense in the phrasing. But what what we lose from them cutting that is a sense that it's been a week that Steve mm-hmm. and these troops have been gone. There's been no sign. And so at least there would have been a sense that it's been a while like that yeah. would have helped a mm-hmm. little bit. As it stands, it feels like, you know, we just we just, you know, he just, you know, she took off with him yesterday and we haven't heard and <laughs> we think that he's probably dead. You know, it, it just ends up playing a, with a little less punch the way it is. And I, th- I think it would have worked just fine for them to be writing this letter and thinking Steve has died and no one made it out of this this battle. And then they get the relief of seeing them come out of the woods like that. That would land just fine. But to try and give the audience any sense of that ambiguity, like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to feel any of the same relief because I never believed Captain America had died in the explosion. Mm hmm. It ends up feeling we're talking about kind of uh, ambiguity yesterday with different elements of this fight and with Schmidt and with Zola and all of that and all these different escapes. And it just kind of felt like they weren't really sure how like they wanted they they knew they wanted this big confrontation with everybody. But once it happened, they didn't know how to get out of it. And so it feels like like that's what I see when I get to this fireball moment is like, well, and let's just kind of dissolve out and, you know, we'll just come back and we're on a typewriter and we don't need to show the end of it. And it ends up feeling very, um, uh, I don't know, like they just they couldn't quite figure it out. That's how I that's how yeah. I read into it. And it mm-hmm. ends up feeling a lot more lackluster than I feel like it should. Yeah. And even if like we had seen, you know, in only, you know, 20 or 30 seconds, because we see how much action they pack into 60 seconds of time. It is quite a lot that can be done. You see Captain America land and you see them get out and make eye contact with the other escapees. And then we cut to the typewriter. Like, I think the impact of the those characters being left with the unknown of what's happened that that would still function perfectly well. Um, it's just treating the audience this way. Like we all know this movie's called Captain America. He didn't die in the explosion. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it would have been different if like Captain America went across first and then Bucky was trying to go across and then he does a last minute jump and there's a fireball. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we, we, we don't know like, if Bucky oh, makes it. Is this where Bucky is this where they yeah. lose Bucky? Like it mm-hmm. would have been a little bit more of a cliffhanger, but with it being Captain America, it's like, okay. So then the big, the big reveal here is that in just like, you know, basically three steps, he can jump, uh, you know, he can propel his body over this entire chasm is basically what we get. And we it's not even a surprise because we essentially see pretty much the whole thing. Like we see <laughs> a great shot of him jumping. We see the wire rig kind of shot of him flying across, like through the fireball. It's like he's going pretty far and pretty fast. And I don't think that he's going to have any issue. And it's not like this is a test run for Captain America because we've seen him be Captain America, right? We've seen him run and jump and swim and what, like I don't like I don't think anyone really doubts. It's like, oh, can he make this jump? It's like, well, yeah, probably. Yeah. 
Yeah, and um, like we said, it is a revelatory for Bucky. Uh, and so maybe if we had focused a little bit more on him seeing this and be like, Steve, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is not the, the guy that I had to protect in the alley um, anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had a few of those moments already, but I, I think that emotional beat would have landed better for me. Yeah. Yeah, like if he actually had an opportunity to greet him on the other side, it, like there could have been an actual moment between the two. Uh, finally seeing kind of some of the stuff that Steve's capable of actually doing, not just talking about it, not just being bigger or or punching somebody, but really like having a, a thing that he just did something that no human could should be able to do. Now, go, circling back to a point I believe you made last episode, it's not super clear what the plan is once they get to this door up on the seventh floor of a burning building. So maybe that's another factor. <laughs> and so maybe that's why they have to cut away. It's because like, like they're, they're, they're planning this all out. And then they get out on the roof. Oh, man. Okay, this is a really tall <laughs> now, building. Um, <laughs> now it's a King Kong cut. <laughs> yes, yeah. so we're, we're just going to move along. And, exactly. Uh, you know what? Let's just move along even before he lands. We don't even want to show them trying to get out this door because then the audience is going to still be thinking a little more than we want them to about the fact that this is a door out onto the roof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, this is maybe, out of, out of all the minutes we've talked about, this is the one where, like, I maybe have the most nits to pick, and, and we've already gone into that. Um, the continuity error of the broken railing uh-huh. is, is bugging me, because, <laughs> you know, Bucky gets across, and there's the railings all fine on Steve's side. The gantry breaks off for some reason, which it shouldn't do, because that had a crane winch on it. That should be able to sustain quite a bit of force. Yeah. Right. But for some reason, it's collapsing now. I would suspect that it could handle more shearing pressure than the rumbling of the explosions is causing. Uh, so I, I don't feel like that's very realistic. And then we cut back to Steve, and suddenly the railing is broken in front of him. So he can bend it for his jump. To to clear out space for his jump. You, you know, I never noticed that it is completely fully intact until we cut over and it's now broken <laughs> like I, I i tried to look really carefully to see it's like it does it break when the when the gantry falls and there's nothing that would should suggest that it should have like i looked really close at least it's not happening on screen for us it it looks like like you see the the gantry fall mm-hmm. and i just like i just don't see anything about it that would cause it to to shear the railing and even after it falls, we do get the over-the-shoulder sh- shot of Steve, and the railing is still complete right there. Yeah, it looks it looks full right there. In the shot of the gantry falling, if you look carefully, like right over the top of the shield, this is about like 16 seconds into this minute, um, you can see that it is actually two pieces of railing that um, are, are close to each other. Like the ends are close to each other, but they're not they're not quite touching, but they're both completely straight. So it's almost like there was a design of it where they wanted it to look like it had broken, I guess. It just, it, again, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you're right. When we cut back to that over the shoulder shot, everything is intact. Like the railing's completely fine. Um, and then also it's like, why doesn't it do anything like this to the railing on the other side where Bucky is like mm-hmm. that side's completely fine. You know, Bucky's leaning over that one. So it, it, none of it makes any sense as to what's going on with that. And then, the, I mean, when you do see it bent uh, at about 30 seconds, um, there's one piece that's bent outwards over the chasm and one piece that is bent straight down. And so I'm wondering, like, was, did they cut something falling? Like, to me, the one that's straight down looks yeah. like something could, could have fallen and smashed into it. And so maybe they had like an extra beat in there of something of, falling of, of from some the ceiling. Of some debris falling down. Yeah. Uh, and, and it just got cut for time. Mm-hmm. 
that likely would have been the only thing that would have made any sense. It's a it's a strange moment uh, that I, they have. I do like the moment of him bending the pipe, and you know, it's like okay, like he is strong. You know, he can because usually it's been not like steady strength; it's been explosive strength from Captain America. Right. You know, it's like okay, he can punch really hard. It's like well, he can like he can lift something. He can move heavier things. But here we're actually seeing him. Yeah, you know, and so it's like a little bit. Yeah, exert exert that kind of strength, taking several seconds. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, and that's. I mean, yeah, I, w- I don't want to go too much into like Superman comparisons again, but it's like that sort of strength that he has that like you know bending this bar and and things. But it's it is a sustained moment that we have of him doing something, which that then leads into the jump, which is you know I mean there's there is a level of I, I suppose strength that for puny Steve, like a lot of this I think is stuff that he didn't know. Like I, he's never really fully been at least in the film, never been able to test, like, what can he do? What can't he do? And so I I do like, at least it feels like there is a moment on his face that it's just like, well, let's see if I can do this too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when, when he runs kind of steps backward um, before he takes the jump, like, I don't know. I like that. At least it seems like, you know, he's still trying to figure out, you know, how much he can accomplish. Yeah. But it is, it is kind of a, a, an odd little moment that we have here. This whole jump, this whole uh, moment with him and Bucky, and the fact that this is the moment where suddenly it looks like in the process of making it to the other side, there must have been a hairdresser uh, who was able to kind of <laughs> clean up Bucky's, like, you know, give him a quick shave and kind of uh, make his hair look not quite so messy. Also got him some food and some vitamins. Uh, yeah. Some, some okay. antibiotics maybe to fight is off. The, uh, <laughs> is the cut on his cheek gone? It's still there. It's kind of like it's in the shadows, though. It's really hard okay. to pin. But a lot, yeah, a lot it, harder to tell. It, well, it doesn't look. It looks like he's had some treatment with it. Like maybe the fire kind of <laughs> uh, scabbed it over real quick or something. I don't know. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this moment there. This I wish that this this whole thing had a better resolution. Like I, I just I've never really liked this moment in the film. And that it builds to this this pseudo surprise of will, you know, did Steve make it like I'm not exactly sure what the intentions are, but also that's where we land. It just like even with the jump, it's like this isn't like the final leap to safety. Even it's like you're leaping to another side of a burning building. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so like if it's like you're you're leaping, you know, uh, across a cliff and, you know, the good guys are on one side, the bad guys on the other. Like then you can have, I think, this kind of moment. uh, And but but like this feels almost a little out of the frying pan into the fire situation is our big finale of, mm-hmm. uh, of this rather like long action sequence that has a lot of good moments that we've talked about, but also a few head scratching moments. I'll, I'll throw like another head scratch is like his three steps into the jump. When he's backing up, he takes six steps. <laughs> They're really big steps forward. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Really striding. <laughs> it, it, that's I was thinking about that too. But it, it, it feels like he, like he jumps too soon. It feels like he jumps early. Yeah, it feels like there is so much more room behind him that he doesn't take advantage of. Like the way that they set that up with him backing up, it's like, oh, he's got he he has just enough space to really get a good running start to this thing, and then it's just like clomp clomp jump. I'm like, oh, wasn't there a little more room for you? But yeah, it's. I guess what they're trying to do is like give us a sense of you know it's a leap of faith for this person who didn't know what he can really do. Um, but and to that end, it's a leap of faith for 
Peggy and uh, Colonel Phillips also like for all of these people who uh, I mean, she believes in him and Phillips doesn't. And so in the process of this story, we've talked about this, like the, the journey of a protagonist who isn't really growing or changing but is changing those around him. Like that's largely Steve in this film. And now he's really like Colonel Phillips is one of the characters that he's really changing. I suppose in situations like this, we know Steve can do it. It's not a, it's not a surprise that he's going to survive this whole thing. Um, The whole point of this is that when we do cut to Colonel Phillips, that, um, that he has kind of written him off, that he's kind of given up on the guy. And I guess that's kind of, the design of the way that it plays, because the fact that it does dissolve, we don't get to see the resolution. We don't get to see him joining the Howling Commandos and the rest of the the POWs. Um, so it's designed in a way where we're supposed to now be kind of in Colonel Phillips mindset of, you know, he's missing an action sort of thing. I, I don't know. I guess mm-hmm. that's the only way I can read the decision on the filmmakers part to how they chose to write this. I don't know. How does that play for you guys? Yeah, in some ways, I think we had the very obvious thing they were working towards of Captain America and Red Skull on the catwalk. Like, that's where a lot of the action was built to get us to this point. And I don't know that they fully worked out the what next <laughs> um, a- after that. And that point, where, you know, it works really well. I, I like the the catwalk sequence. I like, you know, the the punches and the, the face reveal. Um, you know, that, that all does work. But it feels like maybe... Uh, another another pass at the finale of this action sequence was was what was needed. <laughs> I, I will say a thing that I definitely do like about this minute is that we get a nice typewriter in here, right? Like that, <laughs> that old school typewriter. <laughs> yeah, the royal coming yeah. in. It's like yeah, it's got like a little bit of wear and tear. It's got a dent in the front. You're like yeah, typewriter. That feels good <laughs> after after all the the crazy technology. Back to a typewriter. Right. There's something about that typewriter on this desk, but with the tree and the pine needles on the ground all around. I, I actually really like that. Like, just something about that aesthetic. I, I, like, in contrast to the f- fantastical war that was just fought in the, you know, in, in the burning building over here with the hydro tech and the, you know, the blue and everything. Uh, right. We get to more of this, like, rugged, down-to-earth, you know, G.I. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just... Still, <laughs> still, there's, like, in- industrial presence, but it's like, yeah, but this is like a pretty rugged industrial mm-hmm. setting. Yeah, and I, I think that, I mean, it's that's an interesting point about the camp and uh, the tech and stuff, that it, that it feels like we've, like, in a weird way, we're returning to nature, and we are returning to war, but it is it is kind of a, a simpler time, a simpler type of war where mm-hmm. we just have a royal typewriter and the corporal just clacking away on it. Nothing feels as complicated as it had been. And yeah, I mean, we are in a, in a place in this camp where we're seeing the pine trees and it feels very natural and everything is so drastically contrasted from the, the fireballs of hell that we just came from with the factory and the crazy Tesseract energy and all that. So there is an interesting switch that we've just gone through here. So that's that's a good point that the fact that we're very specifically, I suppose, from Joe Johnston's perspective, wanting to kind of retract from the crazy comic book antics and go back to something, a a setting that feels a little more at home in our expectations of World War II, which is this this space. Yeah, this feels, you know, like like watching Band of Brothers or Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, right, right. You know, to to some degree, right? You've, You've got you know, tables and chairs and stuff um, and, and all of that. 
Yeah, and you have uh, the the colonel um, dictating yet another condolence letter. He's talked about how many of these he has done. And this is for Stephen G. Rogers. Uh, Do either of you know Stephen's middle name? I don't. Off the top of my head, I'm ready for a little bit of trivia to get locked into my mind vaults forever. (laughs) I didn't know this. Uh, It is Grant. Stephen Grant Rogers. I would I would guess Civil War general reference, right? <laughs> it I mean it has that vibe, right? It yeah. definitely does. So um and also he calls him captain. And so I guess officially he is a captain. Um we were we were talking about this. Like, did they actually make him a captain? He says, you know, when he's jumping out of the plane, he's like, Hey, I can I can say what I want or whatever, I'm a captain. But we were like, is he joking about like is that be him being cheeky that they call him Captain America? Uh but no, I mean Colonel Phillips doesn't seem like the sort of person who, in a condolence letter, would be, um, you know, saying Captain Stephen G. Rogers um, in a joking way. So I guess he is officially a captain. Yeah, I guess uh, with this. Um, And yeah, it's one of those like Captain America rolls off the tongue really well. But in terms of military rank, what does that actually mean for him? Uh, Like, is it is it literal? So it must be. (laughs) Well, I, I feel like they gave him captain because he was Captain America. And I feel like it's one of those things that feels like, uh, you know, when a when a university gives an honorary degree to somebody, it feels like an honorary title that they probably gave to him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to do some research real quick to see, like, is there a mechanism for you know, like honoring a performer, you know, with an actual rank or, or what? Cause like, I know he was enlisted, but like he was just, he was just enlisted and he went to basic training and he was treated more like a USO performer than exactly. Than anything. A performing monkey. Um, for this minute, uh, it does stand out how amazing Tommy Lee Jones's voice is. Like just when we cut back to the typewriter and we get the clacking and we hear his his voice uh providing some of this narration what an iconic voice for hollywood uh just just right? really top-notch quality you know timber of voice there do you both like tommy lee jones as as uh, colonel phillips in this role yeah i i do um yeah. and i think for where marvel was in terms of being a production studio having him in this role elevated the sense of um you know what a marvel movie could be um like like it just led lent instant credibility because of his own star power uh and and like his place within hollywood that he was doing a marvel film i think it really did elevate it because this is before like marvel was the behemoth that just swallowed up you know everyone's box office dollars (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah right 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 and also it fits like with tommy lee jones where you know it is a role that is likely never going to be brought up again. You know, it's it's something where he could say, he could commit to doing one film and then not have to worry about them saying, oh, and can you come back for this this post credit sequence? Oh, and you, you, can you come back for this? It's like it's kind of a one and done. And I feel like that probably fit pretty well with what Tommy Lee Jones would want to sign on to. Yeah, I don't think like he this. signed the the three film contract or anything like that. <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, we're going to have more Tommy Lee Jones in tomorrow's minute as we kind of uh, go through the rest of this condolence letter and have a little confrontation with uh, Agent Carter. I'm going to make one guess as to getting him the rank of captain Mm. based on his 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 stuff. Okay, it could be based on pay grade. Oh, is that a thing? So what with a very, very basic like you heard it happen here while I was doing it um, search. some of the ranks do have automatic pay grade adjustments. And so if he was enlisted and then kind of got 
pulled into the specialty program and the the USO stuff, but they wanted to pay him a certain amount for what he was doing, they might have to increase his rank to compensate for that. But that is just a guess. That's interesting, though. Um, I wouldn't think a USO actor would be getting paid that much, but but maybe because because he's super. Well, and and I mean, maybe it's because he was part of a you know a medical experiment. Sure, <laughs> sure, a certain yeah, amount absolutely. Of, of, you know, monetary compensation. And that is going to equate to a ranking since he was enlisted. If he was a civilian to be different, but you know, like, okay, well we can't have you be just, you know, a grunt and make this kind of money <laughs> during our experimentation. Wouldn't it have been funny though, if when he became uh, the superhero that he started out as private America and then had to work his way <laughs> up. <laughs> First Lieutenant America. and Master Sergeant America. Like, <laughs> okay, well you're not, you're not in these uh, shows anymore, so you're going to automatically get demoted back to, you know, the enlisted level that you should be at. You have to work your way up just like everyone else. Exactly. Oh, that'd be funny. That would be funny. All right, the two of you, uh, thank you again, as always, for joining me here on uh, the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, I love doing these Marvel movies by minute. It is it is a blast. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for uh, asking us back on. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, well, remind everybody where they can tune into your own shows. I host the protagonist podcast and the premise is that each week we're going to have a guest on and talk about a great character in a great story and we keep it very eclectic. So it is not as narrowly focused as your podcast here on <laughs> you know one one film for every episode for for a season. Um, and that is uh, hosted over at DuelingGenre.com. And also through Dueling Genre, I host uh, Disney Animation Minute Essentials, which is a Movies by Minutes podcast focused on Disney animated films fantastic well check those shows out they're great and uh, you'll find links to them in the show notes that's it for today we'll be back to close out the week with minute 70 so until next time true believers marvel movie minute is a production of true story fm engineering by andy nelson this season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>